to the Food Coma Podcast. Uh, tonight we have the distinct honor of welcoming Rob Caldwell, uh, the host of WCSH's 207 here in Portland, Maine. Also, plenty of experience as an anchor as well. He was just saying he likes he, he you know still gets called in to pinch hit uh, in that realm. Uh, he has been kind enough uh, many times to have me on uh, to his show, and so I was really excited to have him come out here. And I have to apologize on your way in. I know uh, it's a new studio. Security gave you a little bit of trouble coming in. Gunner, he's a new employee. Uh, and I hadn't really told, I hadn't really warned him about how intimidating you can be. So I apologize for any trouble as far as getting you in the entrance of the studio. The place was cloaked in darkness and there was not a full Transylvanian moon to illuminate, illuminate my way in. So I was right. a little unsure. Yeah, and Gunner's a little like, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. Hence, hence the, name. the name. Yeah, yeah. You know, Gunner the name isn't Brad. The name is Gunner. Right. And he's not, not, we're not talking about like, Gunner Nelson here. Like we're talking about Gunner, who does security detail for our studio. Uh, so I appreciate you know you kind of bearing with me there. Uh, it's very kind of you. Very patient. Now, so we are now out of the confines of the uh, of the WCUS CSH studio. So we're in your plush, but not overly ostentatious accommodations. Yeah. So what do you want to ask me? You get to say anything now. You get to, now we don't have any limitations. You get to ask me all the things that I feel like you've always wanted to, but we haven't been able to talk about. It's Riccio Unplugged. No, actually, this is the, the weird uh, turnaround here where I am in the uncomfortable position of having to answer the questions, and you are in the marvelous position of getting to ask them. <laughs> I know. I was like, you know what? He's probably going to want to talk about. We should just have a show about Maine. Uh, I think. Uh, and then I was like, maybe I should just make him just talk about Lowell or Lawrence or Worcester. I don't know. Like I, something. Ate in, I ate in one of those places. Boy, it was a long time ago. It was probably eight, nine, ten years ago. Someone had given me a Denny's gift card and I used it at the Denny's in, I think it might have been Lowell. Uh -huh. And I went in and I had uh, I had a supper at the Denny's. And then, I don't know, I was driving to New York or someplace, upstate New York. And mm -hmm. so there I was on Scenic 295. And uh, yeah, I went into the Denny's in Lowell. How was it? What you go was, to at Denny's? It was exactly what you would expect. Yeah, is it, it was, a moons over Miami kind of thing, or are you more of like a? No, uh, it was it was a lunch and dinner. It was not breakfast, and it wasn't you know one a.m. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I've had I've I've been overserved, and I need moons over yeah. Miami before I go to sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that Denny's is like it's one of the few places that even I have I finally reached that point. In, even in my drinking career where I was like, you know what? This place just isn't worth it. <laughs> like it's just, it doesn't taste good enough to justify the way it makes you feel, you know, kind of like the, like that last time you order Papa John's and you're just like, I don't, this isn't, I'm going to go to sleep. I think. I know a guy who used to bring his own container of real maple syrup to Denny's. Huh. And put it on the pancakes, which I always thought. I, I mean, mean, it's just it's. Yeah. I, I admire that because yeah, my dad, my dad grew up in Vermont, and so we always ate real maple syrup forever. It, for him to not have real maple syrup on the table was a sin. But to if if you care enough about the food to bring your own real maple syrup, I'm a little curious as to why you're going to Denny's for the pancakes. Yes. That's what I don't get. I think he did it for attention, but he's also my hero now. Uh, I think that's amazing. Like. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's a syrup. You know, I'm all set. I I, I brought my own. Um, I, I think that's absolutely incredible. You know who has really good pancakes randomly? Uh, I have to say, and I'd never. 
would normally have, have known this, but Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel has like some of my favorite pancakes outside of the Pals Diner uh, in Maine. I've, I've never eaten a breakfast at a Cracker Barrel, and I've only eaten at them maybe twice. It was down south. Yeah. And uh, it was, I was, I was on the, on an interstate somewhere. I don't know, sort of South Carolina, where, or Virginia, it doesn't matter. And just, you know, going 75 miles an hour for five hours, stop for food, and then get in the car and go 75 miles mm -hmm. an hour for five more yes. hours. So I, I don't have any particular memories one way or another of Cracker Barrel and its fine pancakes. Yeah, they are delicious. They bring you, and the reason I thought of it is they bring you actual, the little, little individual bottles, and they're warm when they bring them to the table. And they actually give you whipped butter, which imagine that. Is there anything worse than getting like cold butter for your pancakes? No. Why does that happen so much, know. Joe? And that can happen in good restaurants. And yeah. it drives me crazy. <laughs> it's, the worst. it's like oh. trying to spread minerals on your English muffin. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just, it just ruins the entire experience. I always, that, when I encounter that situation, my strategy is I usually take all the butter and I hide it under one of the stacks. So it starts to warm in between the two pancakes while I do the maple syrup on top if I have to. Here's one of the things we need to do right now is we need to get rid of the practice of placing the pats of butter in a little bowl of ice. In a bowl of ice. Who wants cold butter? I mean, old people maybe, but that's other than that. But even old people, like, I, I'll be honest, like, I'm still not entirely used to the fact that my mom, like, leaves butter in the cupboard. I don't know why. There's just something about it, but it's perfectly fine. I was going to ask you about that because in Europe, that's a, an absolutely Absolutely. common practice, right? I mean, well, in Europe and even eggs, I mean, they say with eggs, once you've refrigerated them, now they can't be at room temperature anymore. But if you don't refrigerate them, you can leave them at room temp for a very long time. But yeah, the butter thing, uh, yeah, it's perfectly, perfectly fine. Uh, but for some reason, it's still just, and it's so convenient. Like when you go to spread it on bread and you're like, well, it's Butter is so soft. This is so convenient, yet it's still just weird to me. I want your mom to lead the crusade <laughs> yeah. in these United States. Yeah. Let our butter go. <laughs> Free Let our it. butter from refrigeration. Yeah. Like, I mean, if, if you're going to have butter balls, but they're ice cold, I mean, <laughs> what, what good is that? Um, yeah, no, seriously. I, I have no, there's no situation that I can imagine personally where, where you're going to want cold butter. In uh, in some baking, see now I'm okay. going to reveal my profound but in prep in ignorance. But in terms of just eating, when yeah. you sit down at the table and you want some butter with your whatever, yeah. I'm with you. In terms of eating, yeah, maybe there's a a, a reason yeah, to have yeah. cold no, butter. No reason, otherwise. no reason to have the icy cold butter. It's funny. Um, my mother's sister, uh, who we don't really talk to very much, I ran into her recently at a wake. And I didn't realize how many people, I mean, this isn't, to, don't take this as a, a slight, but like, I guess I don't realize how many people still have like cable and watch TV. Like, cause I don't, like I haven't had cable for a long time. Like I watch pretty much like Netflix, Amazon prime. It's just the way I am. I, I never really watched a ton of TV to, to begin with. But the, the, what the point of what I'm saying is, is that she, so all of these people at this wake, these are family members that I haven't seen for a really long time. And the first thing pretty much all of them said to me was, we've seen you on 207 so many times. Uh, like, that was like the thing they couldn't wait to say. And apparently this uh, this person had sent like a a letter to you about her son, who's a musician, <laughs> lives in Hawaii, who's coming to town. And you didn't respond to it because, I mean, you get a lot of letters. And 
she said to me that, and she's like, well, I assume with you that basically like when they basically don't have anybody to go on, that's when they call you. <laughs> and I was like, and the funny thing was I sort of just, I kind of just let it, I, I let it, I didn't even really, it didn't really register with me until like 10 minutes later when I was kind of like, Fuck you! Like, yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, that, they don't have anybody better. That uh, was a, a a. She came off the yeah. top rope with the atomic knee drop yeah. right on your Adam's apple. I agreed with her. I was like, no, you're you're right. I think you're right. I, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. But no, in, no, in no. the moment, I'm saying I was like, just so didn't know how to respond that I just validated the comment. And I was really excited to tell you about it. <laughs> well, you made a nice recovery there with that anecdote because you started out with the confession that I don't watch television. Yeah. And so I was <laughs> going to say, yeah, thanks. Uh, great well, to be here. Yeah. I'm really enjoying this conversation, <laughs> dude. But you did kind of, as I said, recover there after a fashion. I just don't have cable. I don't have cable. Do TV still get stations without cable? Yes. How? Do they, I don't see antennas or anything. Yeah, it's an antenna. They have antennas? It's an antenna. So I wonder if on the way out, I want you to look at my TV and tell me if it has an antenna. You, yeah, well, I'm not Mr. Technology, as you're probably <laughs> aware. But you can go to uh, a friendly store and say, I want to get my TV over the air. Yeah. And they will send you, uh, sell you an antenna that costs, I don't know, like about 50 bucks. Yeah. You can spring for that. I mean, it's better than the whole was the aluminum foil thing that people did. It's, yeah. Although <laughs> it's weird because it will, it will offer you sort of a little a trip back in time because if yeah. it's, sometimes if it's raining you gotta or it's really windy, you're going to have to get up and, yeah. and, and, and fiddle around with the stupid yeah. thing. And it can get really annoying. It happened just this morning to me. <laughs> I, I tuned into, uh, uh, I wanted to watch the morning news and it was it wouldn't come on it was all the pictures all broken up and uh and i started uh you know <laughs> and, and my wife patiently came over and said I'll, I'll take care of it and i said no you don't have to and she just like touched it and it was fine so i just sat there looking stupid yeah pretty much my usual usual condition so i feel like it's appropriate that we're meeting up today i feel like we've had sort of a mutual experience today i mean i it's like i watch it but i it's always online like right after you do it so it's like you know, like you can go on and it's, it's not like you can't watch all this content when you want to watch it. I don't watch sports. I think that's probably what makes me less. Inclined. I feel like people who watch sports are more inclined to still traditionally watch television in, in that manner. Live um, sports remains the great strength, the, the, the rock, the, the enduring rock of broadcast TV. Yeah, uh, because nobody wants to watch Game seven of the World Series the next day. <laughs> Nobody does exactly. So that's that's that uh, is you know with all these changes that are just sweeping through all media, yeah. uh, what still works uh, in a big way for broadcast TV is live sports. That's a good, one, but that's a pretty that's no a thanks pretty strong... to you. <laughs> I mean, I'm part of the problem. Yeah, we do. But You're that's a big an, part of the problem. That's an ace in the hole. I mean, that'll never change. Like, you know, that's. I feel like the the broadcast sports thing. I mean, that's it's never like that's a very strong foothold. Yeah, I've got I've got a an, a really remarkable record of predicting uh, the impact of changing technology on broadcasting and radio and so forth. My record is pretty much one hundred percent wrong. I all the changes <laughs> of the last thirty five years. I, I just didn't see them coming, no. or I totally the underestimated one that you didn't see coming. Them, but uh, there's no question. Just to finish the thought, that yeah. in the in the next, uh, I'm pretty pretty darn sure that 35 years from now, people 
are still going to be watching sports live. I don't know on what platform they're going to watch it, but I still know that yeah. people are going to be watching the Super Bowl two days later. Right. I, I absolutely agree. So there's, um, my, there's my my blindingly obvious observation of the day. <laughs> well, what, so now now what what is what is do you think as far as um one or two things that you have been very wrong about as far as your predictions? Uh, here's a good one. I can remember when CNN started, and I remember thinking, how are they going to fill 24 hours a day? Impossible. Can't be done. The only way to do it would be by having a budget that would be absolutely stratospheric, and clearly they didn't have that. So I said, nah, it's never going to work. So obviously, this little operation called CNN has done reasonably well <laughs> over the last 40 years, so I was dead wrong about that. In, in pretty much the same vein, I remember, I vividly remember when the cable channel, the tennis channel came along. And I thought, it's going to be a cable channel devoted just to tennis. And this was, I don't know, 30 years ago. This was before there were 500 channels. Right. This was when there were maybe, I don't know, 75. Okay. I said, so there's going to be one devoted it's a premium just to, package just years to ago, tennis. Sure. I said, yeah. that's never going to work. Well, of course it did work. You know, there's a, there's a golf channel, there's a tennis channel. Now you know what there are. There there are uh, however many, you know. Well, I, honestly, in 1985, would you have ever thought there'd be a thing called the Food Network? No. 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 Because you know why? Food isn't that exciting. No, because, you know, what worked back then? Julia Child worked. Yes. Um, Justin, but still the Cajun for, chef. Even, even, you know, she was for a niche audience. She never right. had a big audience. No. I mean, now people love her. And, in you know. Rightfully in, so. In her last, yeah. you know, yeah. She, she was uh, very entertaining, but always for a small audience. So, yeah, Food Network, get out. No yeah, way. I mean, even the, well, the profession itself of cook, being a cook, being a chef, was not in any way a prestige thing i mean there are a select few you know i'm sure in you know in france and wherever but it's like it wasn't like now where it's like everybody goes to culinary school for three years and assumes that you know they're just they should just be an executive chef now and own a restaurant uh and they should also be on tv well nobody thought of cooking as really being entertaining it wasn't yeah. hey let's let's sit down and watch a a half hour or maybe even an hour of someone making, you know, roast chicken. Yeah. It just, that was and uh, even unimaginable. So, it's, like it's, it's calming. It's not even necessarily entertaining still. I talked about this. I talked about this a lot, actually, in particular on the Andrew Knowlton episode we did about how, because he hosts the, the final table on Netflix. And I have a particular problem with most cooking competition shows or any show that tries to make, food like watching like die hard or something you know it's like i mean it's like, i'm like food just it's it's just food you know i've worked in restaurants for 21 years like sure i had a lot did a lot of crazy stuff but like it wasn't you know like the dramatic music like the people just wanting people to fail because everybody loves watching people fail and you know that whole culture like you would never have thought that food would be the genre that would just take over so you worked in restaurants for 21 years? Yes. Okay. I worked in a restaurant for two and a half months. <laughs> so here's the thing, is that one of the reasons that we have food on TV now is that food, or is that chefs sort of became, have become rock stars. Right. Now, I know that that was sort of the, one of the beliefs that your hero and mine, Anthony Bourdain, brought to a, a wide audience was, and, and this was 
He thought that, you know, chefs, and this was long before there were chefs on TV, he thought that the, the chefs were, you know, they were gunslingers, they were studs, they were the cool dudes in, in the world. And they were. Yeah, see, now, I don't agree with that notion. No. They were, I... Oh, I, I, think I guess well, most people. Uh, my feeling was when I worked in a restaurant. When I worked in a restaurant, yeah. it was in the summertime. I just worked there for the, one summer vacation, yeah. and you know it was 115 degrees in there. Yeah. The chef was stressed out. This was a guy with a really fiery temper, and he had a, yeah. he was a nasty guy. So yeah. but this this colors my my judgment. But no, I thought but, but this was these, these that he are, wasn't this saying. is a rock star. This is this is like the best job going. This guy has got is 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 fighting off the the women with a cleaver who who want to have him. Uh, <laughs> that that wasn't the vision that I saw. I tell you, yeah, he still sounds cooler than like something like flock of seagulls or something. I mean, I mean, you know, like <laughs> I guess I have a personal grudge because one day. Uh, one night, because I usually worked the nights in there, I was a busboy. Yep. And this was at a, at a restaurant in Portland, a, a restaurant called Marcel's, which was a pretty high-end French restaurant. Yeah. And this was in 19, the summer of 1978. Mm -hmm. So I was in the restaurant one time, and the, the uh, head chef was a guy named Roland. And as I said, just had an explosive temper and was just a mean guy. So there was some kind of screw-up in the ordering or the preparation of some dish. And the food was on the plate. He just took it and he threw it onto the floor. It, the food went all over the floor. The, the dish broke into a hundred pieces. So I had just gone there in there for like something. I don't know what I was looking for or what I was doing in there. But it, and he or someone else, I think it was he, yelled at me, clean that up. So, you know, I'm, I'm just a guy who wants to keep his job yeah. and not get fired because I got to go to school in the in three weeks and I need the money and so forth. And so I had to, you know, go get a broom and clean it up because this jerk, this, yeah. this just thoroughly unpleasant guy, you know, freaks out. Yeah, decided to smash a bunch of food on the floor. Yeah, now, yeah uh, you deal with it. Yeah, exactly. And I <laughs> yeah. wanted to say, no, you deal with it. Yeah, you should have told him that. Yeah. Uh, what you're saying, so basically, I think what Bourdain did, I think when, when I think of the term rock star, I tend to think of excess, decadence, um, rowdy behavior, Motley Crue, um, you know, trashing hotel rooms, um, behaving in any way that you choose to behave uh, based on your feelings at any second of the day. I feel like that, to me, is what most people, or that's, well, that's to me when I think of the term rock star, as like the yeah, I can just do that. And I think Bourdain kind of brought to the forefront that these are guys in the kitchen who are, I mean, you know, they're not getting paid like Journey <laughs> or whatever. They're right. But I mean, they're but they're Crucial living Crucial distinction. Yes. Crucial. Yes. <laughs> but they are, you know, these guys are like living hard, like no regard for common sense or, you know, the 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 societal norms or politeness or, you know, I think that's where he successfully sort of launched the image of this like bad boy chef. I mean, technically Marco Pierre White, I think was really the first um, one to, to do that successfully. I mean, well, of course what it's become now is everything about Anthony Bourdain's world. He wrote that book when he was what, I mean, 41, which is kind of amazing uh, to think about that career beginning, essentially like him transitioning from working in restaurants at 41. You know, that that person that he talks about doesn't exist anymore because restaurants have like, you know, HR departments now. And like people, if you, if you scream at somebody now, like literally you get fired. 
you know, so right. that's a, it's a you, different you, world. You you make the poor busboy pick up pick up the broken plate. I go to HR and file a complaint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's an HR for you to go file a complaint at now. Whereas this is like, and the thing is, all those guys, like I'm sure that guy who tossed that plate on the ground, I'm sure he came up with somebody treating him either equally bad or right. or worse. No, you're absolutely uh, right. You know, and he's just like, if you. And most back of the house people back then, of course, looked at front of the house people like, you know, a bunch of pansies, you know, who are like spoiled and don't work hard and don't have burn marks all over their arms and have no right to, you know, like it's almost it's like a it's almost like a military um, mentality. You That's know? true. I mean, and I was a buck private. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he was just like, pfft. Like, you know, it wouldn't have changed if you had told him to fuck himself or if you had done it. I think, you know, in his mind, he would have just kept going <laughs> like either way. And I'm not like this. I'm not like condoning that behavior. But I am saying that's what I think that world was. And I think that's what made that world so appealing to people when Anthony Bourdain wrote Kitchen Confidential, because they were like, oh, wow, like all these like bad boy like all these like guys breaking the rules and like you know pirate ship lifestyle i remember that i mean i still like remember the first time i read that book and i already been working in <clears throat> restaurants in chicago for five or six years at that point and um you know i worked at places where literally like i remember when it was a i'd work in a lot of nightclubs and and steakhouses and this one place where when you ordered a wine by the glass you were expected to put the glass on the bar and the bar the service bartender would fill it for you. Uh, I didn't know that. So I just rang the order through and the guy just looked me in the eye and started pouring wine all over the bar. And he's like, are you going to put a fucking glass up anytime soon? Like, you know, <laughs> like the things like that, you know, that. And so it's, but then at the same time you have this like, well, you know, it's almost like a, I, I, I worked under such and such. So it's like a badge of honor in a way where you're like, I, I handled it. Um, without going to HR, <laughs> I don't right. know. Well, so it all depends on, I guess, what your perspective is on that. That summer spent working in that restaurant was useful because it taught me that a I have no desire to ever work in a restaurant again, <laughs> and I haven't. So that right. that was one that I was able to like cross off the list. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. you know, focus on other things, work a little harder at school so that you don't have to end up being a busboy. But yeah. uh, I'll tell you what, the two best experiences were of that entire summer. One evening, it was really slow. It might have been a, a Monday night. I think we were open Mondays, or maybe it was a Tuesday night, whatever. Maybe the weather was lousy. For whatever reason, the yeah. place was dead. Nothing happening. And so the owner, who was a really nice guy, Marcel, said, Rob, would you go up to Joe's Smoke Shop and get me some cigars? And I said, sure, I'd be delighted to do that. So he gave me the keys to his car, and he had, I can't remember, it was either a Lincoln or a Cadillac. Well, you know, if you ask, if you refer to Donnie Brasco, they'll tell you Lincoln's got more leg room for your legs, <laughs> but a Cadillac, you know, <laughs> I don't remember the specifics they lay out. A, that, I love cars, so I should remember, but it was uh, four oh, years well, ago. Remind me after your story to tell you about a car I had. So anyway, uh, I drove up to Joe's Smoke Shop, which is all of a half mile, and I, I bought the cigars that he had instructed me to get, and I came back and presented him with cigars. So the whole errand took maybe 20 minutes, but it was great because it got me out of the restaurant. So I was thrilled. 
That was one good experience. <laughs> the other good experience was one night a bartender uh, cut himself. Uh, a wine glass broke, and he had a pretty good cut on his hand. Yep. And so he had to go to the emergency room. So the manager said, can you take Bill up to the hospital? I said, sure, happy to do that. So I drove him up to Mercy Hospital and took him to the emergency room. And again, that got me out of the restaurant and doing my job. So all so your I, are so my, two, my two best memories yeah. are when I got the hell out of there. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think it was for you. But no. it sounds like the owner was a nice guy. The owner was a nice guy. Um, it's funny. So you're talking about cars and uh, in Lincolns and Cadillacs. There was, I think it was a... Maybe three years ago now that I had come on 207 to talk about a piece I wrote for the now defunct uh, Dispatch magazine about my experience in jail, uh, where I had gone. I had spent a month in jail uh, in 2005, and then I went back in in 2016, like for a whole day, just because I was so curious about how the actual kitchen worked there. Um, That was a great story, especially the part where my dad was like, well, I guess everybody knows now. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, sorry. Yeah, I don't think it's a secret. But uh, the point is, I had got, the reason I was in there was because I got two DUIs because I've been living in Chicago and I had come back and I not had a car there uh, and had been living as such. And then I came back here and obviously had to deal with driving. So I got myself a 1982 Lincoln Continental. It was two-tone turquoise with turquoise leather interior. Was this the town car or was it a Mark? What was it at that time? A Mark Four, maybe? It was a Continental. So there's the town car, the, the, the Continental. The, the town car was the big one, the big honking one. It was, it had like the whole thing in the back with the tire shit. It wasn't the Mark Four. The Continental is actually a model, I believe, that's like slightly smaller than a town car. Okay. The Continental. I'm not sure, but it, it, it looked every bit the part of. This car belongs to the Joker or whatever. But I got both my DUIs in that car. And, uh, well, looking back on it. That kind of car can lead to poor judgment because, among other things, those kinds of cars, you'd be going along at 85 on it and think you're doing 57 on the highway because those things... Man, they they could cruise on the highway. They would wallow yeah. on a country road. And nobody ignores those cars. No, like, you don't. Most really... people see that car and they're like, "Oh, I wonder what that guy's doing." Yeah, yeah. It's not like having a Toyota Echo or something. Yeah. Where you or can... I've driven Volvos now for ten years for a reason, because Volvos are invisible to police. <laughs> not that I do anything like that anymore, which I actually don't. I do occasionally learn lessons in my life, um, but yeah, that's why I drive a Volvo. I love Volvo. Trying to get him to sponsor the show. If you return my email, that'd be something else. I'd love it. You know, it's not that I don't come to the dealership and keep buying cars there. It's whatever. You know, it's fine. Your your way's fine too of just not responding to me. I'm just I not giving you any money. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's if that's how you want to live your life. That, okay. If you didn't want to respond to my email, that'd be all right. So anyway. <laughs> I think we should take a moment to actually talk about our actual sponsor right now. Here at the Fukuma Podcast, we obviously love our tequila, um, which is why I'm thrilled to have uh, Luna Zul as our newest sponsor. Uh, they were nice enough to actually to give me a bottle of their uh, Blanco, 
Um, and I drank the whole thing, so we don't have any for us to drink today uh, because that's what happens to me. It's like they say, what is it? I'm like a chocoholic, but for booze. Uh, and so uh, they gave me this bottle of, of their Blanco tequila, uh, which was actually delicious. It had um, the sort of herbal notes you look for, not a lot of heat. The bottle's right in the 22 to $25 range. So it's nice as far as, you know, having a tequila that I, you can drink straight or you, you also don't feel guilty about mixing. What, I mean, do you like tequila or are you? I like tequila. Do you want me to give, give you my margarita recipe that I came across about mm, a year and a half ago? And it's so simple if and so If you give so me good. yours, I'll give you mine. Okay. Uh, about uh, one part of tequila, one part freshly squeezed lime juice, and a half part agave syrup. Put it in your cocktail shaker with ice. Shake it up, baby. And pour and consume. So three ingredients, yeah. and I love three ingredient cocktails. Yeah. Yes. And simplicity itself, and it's that it's is, really good. That is really simple, and that's actually really brilliant because the agave syrup is really sweet, so you don't need a lot of it. Right. And well, all right. Well, that is Rob Caldwell's margarita recipe. I, I read uh, that in a magazine. I did not uh, bring that to Planet Earth. That was not Rob a Rob Caldwell of my own. invented that that margarita recipe. Uh, Every time I, you drink one of those margaritas, <laughs> send me a yeah, quarter. Yes, and now I'll tell you about the margariccio, uh, which is my signature thing. Which I've had. Yes, you've had, and it, and and every place I've worked at, uh, I well, I retired now, but I bring this cocktail with me, and and it, it has caused a couple restaurants to enforce a um, two per customer limit, because I start out with literally about three ounces of tequila, three ounces of Cointreau, uh, so you're looking at about six ounces of alcohol in this drink. Um, I, and I like, like a Luna Azul is a perfect uh, tequila, a silver tequila, I think, makes the best margarita. I think that Reposado and Añejo are, are much better sippers. So you want to take, you know, you know the three ounces of uh, tequila, three ounces of Cointreau, uh, put them in a shaker, toss in uh, three wedges of lime and one wheel of orange, a few squeezes of simple syrup. I guess agave syrup would actually also work in the situation, so you wouldn't have to actually make your own simple syrup. Uh, and then... I would say about a third a cup of uh, fresh lime juice. Uh, and then what you want to do is take a muddler and muddle all of these things together. So you're trying to really, you know, get that pulp worked around in there. Uh, then you put the ice in and then you shake it just vigorously. And again, you pour it directly in a glass. And what we're going for is, you I mean, you want that orange wheel to come out pretty much like stripped almost, you know, like and all that that fruit to distribute throughout the cocktail. And it almost becomes this like margarita milkshake in a way, because it gets this really like, interesting creamy consistency. And people, I mean, they drink them really fast, even though I tell them not to. It's, it's insanely strong, but you don't taste it. But yeah, I, I think... Uh, personally, I feel like orange is an underutilized element of the margarita, but there are people who feel the exact opposite as I do, and I'm comfortable with that too. So, well, what you have there is sort of uh, almost a hybrid margarita slash sidecar because yeah. of the Cointreau. Yes, and I love and always cars. use Cointreau. Never ever use triple sec. Hallelujah! Say it again, brother yeah. Joe. Say it again. Yes, I mean I know it costs a lot more, but. There is no comparison. Don't use Grand Marnier either, because Grand Marnier is another one that's like that's a that's like a cognac with 
orange in it, and that's a sipper. That is not a margarita ingredient. I don't care what anybody says. But Lunazul Blanco Tequila, 100% agave. Always a good choice for your margarita needs. You know, coming into December, margarita season, you know, everybody's really going to love this one. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember the first time I had one of your uh, patented beverages. Uh, you were working at Tulinqua on Washington Avenue in Portland. I mm -hmm. went in there with my then girlfriend, now wife, and uh, I said to her, that's Joe Riccio behind the bar. And you and I didn't know each other. We hadn't met oh, at that point. Okay, I yep. knew of you because I knew of uh, Food Coma yep. and I'd read your uh, articles and so forth in various publications, but I didn't know you. I'd never met you, but I recognized you. That's Joe Riccio behind the bar. And so we're scanning the menu. And uh, and there, I don't know if it was a special up on the blackboard. It might have been. And it said it had the name of one of the specials. And so when you came around, I said, uh, you said, ah, you guys said, fine, fine. Any questions? I said, yeah, what's a Margariccio? <laughs> and you said, uh, you said uh, looked at me like I'm the dimmest people in the class. <laughs> you don't know it the said, drink that's said, named after it me. Said, uh, well, that's my margarita. And I said, oh, no, of course that's your margarita. And I felt like such a dumbass. Oh, please. <laughs> did you like it? I did. Delicious, right? It was One yummy. night. Uh, I had really bad uh, sunburns because I'd gone and played. Oh, no, I wasn't playing baseball. I'd gone to the beach the day before, and I, I didn't realize that when you go in the water, you have to reapply sunscreen. Um, yeah, that's a that's a very sophisticated okay. concept, <laughs> Joe. It's like the time that nobody told me I had to put my own oil in, since, in my car. Yeah, since, um. since you didn't spend uh, 20 years <laughs> at medical school, that's probably why you never <laughs> learned that fact. <laughs> nobody ever let me know. So I was so horribly sunburned that I remember it was a... Sunday, so it was the night before Margarita Monday, or Margariccio Monday, excuse me, at Trilingua. And that night, I literally, I think I counted at the end, I made 62 Margariccios with this, just my whole body on fire, <laughs> just trying to shake these drinks. And I'm like, you know, and, and I wasn't even drinking at the time, so I couldn't even like, you know, there was just no relief for me. But uh, that's just the way it goes. Uh, again, thank you. <laughs> and go get yourself a bottle of Lunazul. Blanco tequila or the Reposado or their Añejo, all delicious. And welcome back to the Food Coma Podcast. We're here with Rob Caldwell, uh, host of the show 207 on WCSH and also a uh, pinch hitter anchor. Is that what I should call you, a pinch hitter? Sure, yeah. They bring me in from the bullpen or the, from the dugout. Yeah. Where, where, you're always, where warm, you're always warmed up. I, I can pitch, I can hit, I can do whatever they need me to do. Yeah, and I think that um, one thing that a lot of people don't know about, maybe they do, is you are an avid uh, motorcycle enthusiast, correct? Correct. Yeah. And you have how many times gone, to, uh, span, uh, done a road trip through the whole country? I've gone cross-country 13 times on a motorcycle. I mean, that's... Pretty intense. That's all different routes. Yes, I mean sometimes you uh, you'll retrace a route because particularly when you get out west, there are limited numbers of east to west routes. So if you want to go across, say, New Mexico, there aren't a lot of choices. Right. Even though New Mexico is huge. Yeah. If you want to stay on on a road. Right. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I've I've you know done some of those some of those roads I've done more than once, and of course there are places that you know, you like to go back to because they're so terrific. Uh, for instance, Santa Fe, New Mexico is is a marvelous place. I could, oh, I could what is it you love pretty so much, much live it? there. Everything, the, the landscape, the history, the architecture. And I'm not saying this just because I'm here, 
but the food and the beverages. Yeah, I they, that's a, that's a that's a city, Joe, that takes its margaritas <laughs> seriously. They have a margarita trail. I'm not joking. A oh. margarita trail. How fantastic is that? They take that and their peppers very seriously. Yeah. Do you know what the official state question is of New Mexico? Along with, you know, every state has a state bird oh. and, a, and a state tree and all that stuff. New Mexico is the only state that has a state, an official, and this is true, an mm -hmm. official state question. Is it, have you watched Breaking Bad? No. That was New Mexico, right? Yep. Yes, it was. That was Alba, Albuquerque, though. They've had it for, this has been uh, on the books. This has been a, a part of the the statutes of New Mexico for a long time, far it, preceding. Can I guess, is it, is it about green or red? Yes, ding, it is. You're a winner. <laughs> really? Yeah, I think it's actually, I think it might be red or green. Okay. You, you get full credit. The judges yeah, give you, you full credit. Nice. I, uh, <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I've literally, I literally had no idea. Yeah, no, I true, true story. That, yeah. The official state question. <clears throat> I love it. And the red generally has beef and the green generally has pork, right? I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. Uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't noticed that those. distinction. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we're talking about chili uh, or chilies. Now, is it red or green as far as like the, the chili pepper itself or like the chili you make with the chili peppers? Like, It's, I believe... The pepper, although, I mean, this is, you, you, they take this stuff seriously. This is, yeah. you know, kind of right after religion yeah. uh, out there in terms of the. It's like uh, football in Texas. Exactly. This yeah. is, this is, this, this is a topic that is not taken lightly. Funny story. When I was in Santa Fe the last time, went to a place that was sort of out of downtown. So it was about a 20 minute walk. So we'd gotten out of downtown and we're in this neighborhood that's kind of residential and kind of uh, office buildings. No, it's all one-story buildings, very lightly populated. And there was a public works crew that was tearing up the road for a whole block. And it's about 11.45. And so there are, I don't know, 10 guys on this work crew. And, you know, they've been clearly working all morning. And one of the guys has a propane tank and he's got a grill going with this huge platter and he's adding all of his stuff and he's cooking it out there in the middle of the street, in the middle of this construction site. And whatever he was making, I wanted it because it looked fabulous. So Hell these yes. aren't just these aren't just guys, you know, who are opening up their lunch boxes and pulling out a bologna no, sandwich. They're like from firemen, home. like they're they're into they cook. They cook. They cook. And it was it was just a marvelous moment to see this guy making lunch for the whole crew out there with the heat. And uh, it uh, it made me think of what something that I, that I read. I don't know. We we didn't stop and talk to him. I should have. I regret that I didn't. Yeah. But it reminds me of a, a, a comment that I read uh, many, many years ago about how the only two places in the United States where food is properly spiced, and this was 35 years ago, New Mexico and Louisiana. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. Wouldn't argue with that at all. No. Fair statement. You know, what's funny is I've never been to New Orleans, which seems like a sin. Yeah. What the hell are you doing with your life? Well, I'm still sitting here, right? So isn't that proof that I've never been to New Orleans? <laughs> because I don't you think might. I'm coming back. I was going to say, you told, me, you told me one time when we were talking that if uh, if you went to Tokyo, to Tokyo that you feared you might yep. Those are Tokyo and New Orleans are places that I think when I go for the first time, I don't think I'm coming back. From, yeah, so. I think that's I think that's a, a, an accurate assessment. Yeah. It's, it just seems like such a indulgent place for all of the senses, no matter what your vices it may be. It also sure seems like a place is. where nobody's going to, you know, judge you for those vices, which can go, you know, 
both ways as far as being good or bad. So you said 13 times? 13 times. So yep. 13 times. Uh, I mean, what is your... Okay, you, we were talking about Cracker Barrel earlier. I've never eaten at a Waffle House. I really want to. I don't know how I've never done that. I guess it's more of a Southern thing. I mean, have you been to a Waffle House? I have. Are they... Is it just like hype or is it as delicious as everybody says it is? No, I I, I don't think there's anything distinctive about a Waffle like House. Like it's the same as like a Denny's. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I truly think that I can, I can make a breakfast as good as the one at Waffle House. And that's a damning statement. <laughs> <laughs> I can make, All right. I can make scrambled okay. eggs and toast yeah. and bacon that are as good. Actually, they're probably better. Yeah. Well, they're neat, uh, but it's because, just—I mean—they're really inexpensive. They're yeah. really inexpensive, and they're fast, so that's yeah. that's fine. And like in an Outburger, they've got the secret language, which I like, as far as like everybody has a way they order their hash browns. Right? There's all these different smothered, smashed, smothered. I, I don't think they're anything magically yeah, enhanced. You know, they're yeah. just—they're—they're they're okay. They're okay. Right. I feel like okay. Maybe what I what I've always done. You're familiar with Jane and Michael Stern of Road Food fame? Yes. Well, I got turned on to them uh, 40 years ago when I was in college. I somehow or other, as a as a member of the paperback book club, <laughs> I got a I bought a copy of Road Food, yeah. and it was was and is a terrific book. But particularly back then, because the the thinking was that fast food was going to overtake America, and chains were going to overtake America, and all the great little regional diners and barbecue joints and so forth were going to disappear, because a lot of them had disappeared right. in the late spike. People were going to intentionally open a barbecue joint in the gas station, not just out of necessity. Right. So what I have always done from my first trip cross-country is I always tried to stick to the back roads, having been influenced by another book, Blue Highways, by William Leesteet Moon. Always try to ride on the back roads, not on the interstates, and always try to eat at the local places. Right, talk and to me so, more about this because this actually is literally where I was going with this. And so what I what I did have done on uh, many of my motorcycle trips, particularly in the early days uh, before the internet was as common, um, is I would I would ride with a copy of Road Food and maybe even another book or two by the Stearns. And 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 I so I would get to Memphis and I'd pull out those books and I'd say, all right, where am I going to go for barbecue? Or I would get to New Mexico, and I'd say, all right, where am I going to go to get something, you know, some local delicacy here? Get to California, where am I going to, where am I going to go to get uh, some great uh, Dungeness crab, whatever? Pull out the, the road food book. Basically, my, my question was going to be, like, how do you decide where to eat on these trips? Because I feel like if you're spending that much time on the road, then I feel like meals must be definitely a highlight of your day. You know, that 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 stop more than like stopping to get fuel or whatever, you know, so uh, that's that's really interesting. And, and, and it and it's held up. That book is held up. The right? problem now is that the book gets outdated. So you pull yeah. into a town and you find that the place if, if you haven't already checked, if you haven't already gone on the on social media, you can you can pull into a town and find that the place has closed. And then maybe you've gone 75 miles out of your way. And so that's a drag. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the basic idea, I mean, I had never, you know, I had never been to Virginia and eaten, you know, barbecue in Virginia before. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have peanut soup in Virginia or, nice. you know, then you get down, you know, you get the, the eastern North Carolina that's more like an African influence versus the western North yeah. Carolina. Do you want the barbecue with mustard or, you know, you then you get it, to yeah. the western part of the state and it's, it's a different kind. And yeah. then or, you know, Texas, I had I had a lot of fun eating at barbecue joints in Texas. That's kind of a challenge because the, the state is so 
bloody huge that yeah. it takes you forever to get places. A barbecue there. pilgrimage, I think, is one of the is one of the greatest things our country has to offer. I agree. It's just it's so much fun and and it is something that is doable. And you really it it uh, you know it it's it's America singing right there all the way from you know Virginia down to at least to Texas. I mean that is American cuisine. If you ask me, I mean, outside of fast food, <laughs> um, I think American food is is really you know barbecue. That's I mean, I guess that's a a pretty blanket statement, obviously, especially given where we live, <laughs> where it's you know we obviously have our our state dishes here. I mean, do you ever get tired of uh, just doing a show in Maine all the time? No, and that's not. That's not BS. I really don't. Yeah. I, I am grateful having been, having ridden a motorcycle through places like Kansas, and I'm not you know taking a cheap shot at Kansas, but I can't imagine working in Kansas for 37 years as a television reporter. Yeah, just because you don't have the variety that you have here. I mean, just the the landscape gives you different stories because the coast is so much different from oh my God, the, the mountains, yeah. which is so much different from the county, and which is a lot different from you know, central Maine and its farmlands and so forth. And just you have a variety here, which just does not get boring. Yeah, we really actually do. And it's funny because the reason that Maine is so hyped up now is seen specifically based on Portland. And I think that's just a small fraction of what's going on here. And as you know, I mean, I love the county. And whenever I come on the show, I also love that when I do my lists, which will be soon we're going to be doing the uh, – my best things I've eaten in 2019. Yeah. Uh, I like that we, you know, we spread it out, you know, like we go all over the state, not just in Portland. Sure. I can name five things in Portland. Absolutely. But I'd much rather talk about the entire stretch uh, for sure. It is an interesting that literally you can drive so far in Maine that if you went the other direction, you'd be in like New York city. Yeah. Well, this is, <laughs> this, this is a, a challenge actually in terms of news coverage is that, um, from Portland, you can be in, you can drive to Times Square faster than you can drive to Fort Kent. Yeah. Depending on the traffic. But, uh, but uh, so, and, and it's, it's particularly challenging for uh, the meteorologists who have to tell the weather for this entire state and get yeah. it all right from Eastport to Aquasic, Kittery to Fort Kent. I mean, <laughs> that's a, that's a real challenge. It's insane. Yeah. But it also, to get back to what you were talking about, it's what keeps it fun, is that there's a variety here that there isn't in Kansas, that there isn't in, you know, Rhode Island or Connecticut right. or something. Although I mean, Rhode Island, I will say, does have uh, a just delightful spread of regional dishes. Uh, oh. Rhode Island more than Kansas, probably, with their with the, the calamari. They have the clear chowder. They got the gag gaggers, like the basically their version of the Coney dog. Johnny Cakes? Johnny cakes will also clam and, and 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 their clam cakes are more like clam fritters than like our clam cakes are like a fried thing. Like theirs are more like fritter style when you order a clam cake in Rhode Island. And one of Rhode Island's greatest achievements, coffee milk. Oh my god, they love the freaking coffee milk. You don't they, like that? Am I gonna have to get up and leave? I don't. I drink my coffee black, and uh, right. I drink I drink alcohol I'm with nothing in it. You have fun. And I drink my doing this podcast black. by yourself. Yeah, well, why are you? You're you're living in the world of Allen's and milk, and somehow you need yeah coffee milk. That and the, what's the lemonade they all flip? Dells. Dells. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They love the Dells lemonade. They love the coffee milk is like a religion there. Like they are yeah. 
absolutely obsessed with it. It's so puzzling to me. But I love that allegiance that what that yeah, one one little totally. state has to this quirky yeah. thing. I, I love. I that. mean, Rhode Island has so many re- like for the size of that state, the amount of things that they have is pretty incredible. You know. Yeah. No, and I, I like Rhode Island. Uh, Providence is a great place to eat. Yeah. Gansett. Uh, Gansett. Yep. Uh, Even Newport, when it's despite a lot of annoying people are there, but I mean, you know, there's still delicious food there. A lot of delicious food there. A lot of lot of lot of fun restaurants and other places down there. Yeah, Rhode Island is such a anomaly in that way where it's like, I was like, yeah, Kansas, I'm with you. But Rhode Island, I actually want to talk about it. Wanna... Well, the weird thing about Kansas is, you know, you get on your motorcycle and you ride all friggin' yeah. day through Kansas. Yeah. All, what do you do? You go by farm after farm after farm. But can you get decent vegetables in there, in that state? You can get corn. You can get corn. <laughs> but But even if you go into a restaurant, they won't have like some great fresh corn. No. Ish, and so it, and and they'll have a a salad bar with iceberg lettuce and the saddest looking tomatoes and a few <laughs> slices of cucumber and that's yeah, it. That's I mean, it. it's really it's grim. all you're getting. It's the, really grim. I remember when I went. I was living in Chicago. Anytime when I moved to and from there, uh, I remember that drive and the hardest part of that being Ohio, like just driving through Ohio on the way to Chicago took like six hours of just. It's like you went from New York, where at least the landscape is interesting, to just this like. Yeah, Ohio and Indiana are. are uh, yeah, and are the last trying. thing you get to before you go into Chicago is Gary, Indiana, which uh, that's a garden spot right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you've ever, if you've ever experienced the beauty of Gary, Indiana, um, <laughs> it is rugged. <laughs> Only at sixty miles an hour, I never felt the urge to stop. Oh and my god, it's smell like the it's, it's like a, 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 like apocalyptic. Looking at at night, every time I've driven through it too, it's been at night. So all I can see are like silhouettes of pipes and just smoke and yeah. There's a reason people keep going. Yeah, <laughs> so you know, <laughs> but you know, good for the Jacksons. They you know they made it through. <laughs> um, well, it's a rough place to be from. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they, they didn't emerge entirely intact, but yeah. <laughs> that's a different story. Yeah. Um, now. Do you cook a lot? No. No. I used to cook a little bit, and it was the most elementary stuff imaginable. Mm-hmm. I bought a cookbook. <laughs> it was perfect for me. The title of the cookbook was Help, My Apartment Has a Kitchen. Ah. Well, and that, it that's was actually pretty brilliant it, it is pretty brilliant it is pretty brilliant it was written by a woman who had i think a couple of sons and they went out in the world and they had no idea what to do and so she said all right here's a here's a recipe for how you make uh you know hash or here's a recipe for how you make chicken legs or whatever yeah. and i thought this is exactly what i need this is exactly yeah. what i need yeah and, well you uh, need to know to to buy chicken legs instead of chicken breasts And, uh, but you know what, that book sat on my shelf and I don't think I ever made a single dish because I was at that point, (laughs) I used to cook when, uh, when I was first out on my own, I was so broke. I had so little money that I had to cook for myself. So I made exotic dishes like tuna melts and I made the chicken legs and, uh, and, uh, not a lot of, oh, eggs. I ate a lot of eggs back then. I'd make scrambled eggs and I'd make omelets and, um, you know, fried eggs and so forth. Uh, but beyond that, I didn't do much. And then I reached a point about uh, 20 years ago where I just I just fell into utter sloth and laziness and really kind of stopped making Well, if it's not anything. your thing, you know, I feel like if, if it is your thing at a certain point, you take it further, but then you just realize that, you know, I like to go out to eat. <laughs> well, that's like part of the problem is I love to go yeah. out to eat. And, and actually, when I 
came back from my longest motorcycle trip, which was two months long. I spent 60 days or whatever out on the road. And I only had home cooked meals one evening when I stayed with my cousin in Washington, DC. But the rest of the time I ate out, I ate out every single meal for 60 days. And when I got back home, I wasn't tired of eating out. I didn't say, oh my God, I can't wait to have a home cooked meal. I said, I could. I think I got home the next day. I went out and I had lunch at a restaurant yeah. and I had dinner at a restaurant. Yeah. And, but if, if we refer to your conversation earlier about being on the road and the way you eat, it doesn't surprise me at all because you're not like, I went to an Applebee's for like five days in a row and I still wanted to go out. Right. Like, you know, you, you don't cook, but you put a lot of thought into the places that you go out to eat. And that's why it doesn't get old. And it's, you know, it stays satisfying no matter how long you do it, you know? A lot of people eat out constantly because they don't know how to cook, but they also have no idea what you're talking about as far as finding a restaurant that isn't, you know, by the mall. One of your biggest regrets you've said in life is that you missed out on the opportunity to interview Leonard Nimoy. True story. Because uh, you're a Trekkie. Huge Trekkie. The original series. Yeah, well, I only believe in the original Star Wars I don't even acknowledge the anything other than the first three. I didn't all. know that. Interesting. I didn't tell you that. <laughs> I don't broadcast it because you know what? People they want to like they want to come find you and, and murder you. Gunner it, will have to be on Gunner, patrol twenty four hours a I, day. You say anything bad about the new Star Wars movies? Like people are just they have they have this like laundry list prepared for anybody like me. I saw Return of the Jedi five times at the theater. Five times. I also saw Rocky four or five times at the theater. Maybe my grandparents, God bless them, bring me <laughs> to the movies constantly. See the same movies. I don't like watching different movies because I hate being disappointed. So I watch the same things a lot. Outside of Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, there are no other Star Wars movies. Anyway, I'm sorry. You're a Trekkie. <laughs> and so, yes, Leonard Nimoy, you had the opportunity. It was particularly poignant because he had he was an avid photographer and a, and a skilled photographer and he had a show of his photos that he was doing in northampton massachusetts which is i don't know what four hour drive three and a half hour drive something like that and so i thought wow maybe maybe he'd talk to us and i could you know if i if i got him for just 10 minutes i could talk to him half the time about his photography and half the time about star trek and that's that'd work so miracle of miracles i got the interview Leonard Nimoy agreed to talk to me. However, there was only one day when he could do it. He was going to be there for the opening of this exhibition, and then he was gone. And that date fell on a day when I was already committed to a charity event, a big fundraiser, the big fundraiser of the year for the General Henry Knox Museum up in Thomaston. And they had asked me to be the MC of this event. And I don't do a lot of those kinds of things, but they had helped me out getting some good interviews. And so I thought, fair enough, I absolutely would be happy to do it. So I was committed to that date. They'd already sent out publicity they, uh, for the event. They'd had posters yeah, made up. They said, Rob Cobble will be the MC. Yeah. And it was the day of the Leonard Nimoy Ugh. interview. So I was crushed. And I, so I even... Because the event in uh, the event was in Rockland, the fundraiser was in Rockland, so I had to be there in the evening. I thought, well, maybe if I interview Nimoy at about one thirty, I'd have time to fly back to Maine. Well, they and I looked into in I Rockland, looked into right? what it would cost to get a small Owl's private airport, plane. Right? Yeah, and it was I don't know, it was something way beyond my I mean, means. It was like six thousand yeah. dollars yeah. or something. 
So I couldn't, I could not do the Nimoy interview. So I handed it off to Pat Callahan, who is an avid and knowledgeable Trekkie. And he did it. But it truly, it truly was the most stinging of blows that the gods have given me so much good fortune in yeah. life. But in that one, they really tweaked me a bit. I'm sorry. I am too. That's, that sucks. It <laughs> really, it, it really. And it how hurts hard to was this it day. for you to be nice to people at the event you did that day? <laughs> Well, actually, they were all wicked nice. So that just—I was just so divided. If they'd been been a bunch of jerks, then I would have been cursing them, and it it might have made me feel better to let out a little venom to just vent some spleen. But they were all extremely nice. So, so I had to deal with that. Uh, (laughs) See, now the one thing I will say about Star Trek, and I'm not a Trekkie. Per se, I mean, you know, I've seen Wrath of Khan. Uh, I've certainly watched enough episodes of the original show. I watched that one where they thought they found God because uh, he was taking away everybody's pain. Remember that? Because they were like crossover. Was that four? Yeah, no, that was five. That was the one Shatner directed. That was a mess. <laughs> Shatner, I need my pain. I want my pain. I need my pain. And uh, <laughs> I, I actually kind of like that line. But I the movie's too. a mess. It's the great script- because it has all these like connotations with things like, you know, you know addiction and whatnot i need my pain you can't take my pain i want my pain i want my pain (laughs) um that's the line i remember from that film uh more than others and and yeah the rest of them are pretty forgettable yeah and wrath of khan i really don't like those bugs uh that i have a phobia like to me like the hardest scene to watch in a movie, like you'd think it'd be like a normal horror movie, but like that scene, Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom with the insect room where they have to get through it. Like insects terrify me, like mm-hmm. in large numbers, especially mm-hmm. big ones. Mm-hmm. Not so much spiders, which is funny. Uh, I don't mind spiders. Uh, those things in uh, Wrath of Khan, though. Yeah. All set with those. But yeah, so Star Trek, at least unlike Star Wars, like Star Trek at least in all of the iterations of, of all the spinoffs, they were like, they're almost they're, they're their own thing. Like they're still in that universe, but it's like LeVar Burton and Patrick Stewart. And, you know, they're still Klingons, but you know, I feel like star Wars keeps trying to tie itself back into the original movies, which makes it that much more aggravating to me. It's almost like law and order, you know, like SVU, uh, your thoughts. Well, star Trek, in all of its versions, and I'm not—I'm a—I'm a purist. I, I'm a traditionalist, at least. Yeah, uh, that's probably a more accurate term. A traditionalist. I love the original series, and I am an avid fan of the movies featuring the original cast, even though those movies are wildly uneven in their quality. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but see, Star Trek Five, directed by <laughs> William Shatner. See, I, I need, need my, my pain. pain. That one gives me my pain. Pain is part of me. I that need my pain. film gives me a lot of pain. Anyway, yeah. but what Star Trek, even with with all the the versions that came, uh, Next Generation and so forth, all of them, Deep all of them Space up to Nine now, all of them up to now, they've all stuck to that theme of exploration and discovery and oldly going out there Where no man and, has gone. and and there's something about that that's really compelling and i think so you will, like them will no no i don't because I, <laughs> I don't think they're well done yeah i don't think they're well right. done i mean I just, even the next generation they had they had terrible scripts <laughs> most of the time they really did and also that was not an, an interesting crew I, when no. when uh, when the the movie came out, Star Trek Generations, which was where they they handed the baton from the original cast yeah. to the new cast, yeah. and 
there was a line in the review in the New Yorker magazine that was great. It talked about the next generation crew and the critic described them as deeply uninteresting. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought just nailed it. Going we're, I mean Picard yeah. is pretty interesting. You know, Riker. Is it Data? Is that LeVar Burton? Data. Yeah. No, Picard, Data's no Data's the other one. Uh, he's robot. not LeVar Burton. He's uh, he's a robot person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but so so Picard is interesting. LeVar has the Venetian Data's, blinds things on his Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Picard's interesting. Uh Data's kind of interesting. The rest of that cast is is <laughs> really boring. No, but tell me about um I don't know nothing about it, but a lot of people seem to enjoy the new newer Star Trek movies. Can't tell you a thing. Haven't seen yeah. one frame of. Uh, it almost seems like oh, what oh, they, the movies. Sorry, sorry, the movies. Yeah, it seems uh, like what they did with like say like for instance, I like the first Batman the best still with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson because uh, I think it's it's stuck to the more uh, comic booky uh, aesthetic yeah. of it. However, when I saw Christian Bale and like Batman Begins, I was like, well, this is a very different motif, but it's also very good. You know, compared to what the franchise had become with like George Clooney and whoever playing Batman at that point. And it seemed like from what I was told, I haven't seen the movies, but I'm told the new Star Trek movies are more that they're they're a little more serious. They're better movies. You were misinformed. OK, I, I think I, I, I can't stand them. Yeah. I, I, especially the most the, the, the two latest. And I guess they're going to be the two last ones with. Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto and yeah. so forth. Uh, I just, I loathe them nice. with a pure white flame. Yeah. yeah, no, I like this. I, this is, see, this is what I need to know. So I don't waste my time and our listeners don't waste their time. How do you feel about Jar Jar Binks? How do I feel about Jar Jar Binks? I mean, there was such a plethora of emotions that went through me the first time I witnessed that character. I got wicked excited for the Phantom Menace uh, before it came out. It looked awesome. I mean, I love Ewan McGregor. Uh, I love Liam Neeson. This whole Darth Maul guy looked awesome. I thought it was going to be incredible. Like, I was slightly less jaded back then. And it was terrible. Uh, <laughs> and Jar Jar Binks was like the sort of maraschino cherry on top of the whole shit Sunday that was the Phantom Menace, I think is a better way to put it. You know, it was just this like, uh, it was just this last like, oh, and we just want to make sure you weren't thinking about liking this movie. So we included this this character. We're running down parallel tracks here, Joe, because the way you feel about what has become of Star Wars is the way I feel about what has become of Star Trek. It just, yeah. it doesn't interest me at all. No. I can't stand it if other people like it fine i mean i'm not yeah. i'm not the so, problem is that the other people that like it they tend to attack people like us yeah because they well, think I, that we're like old-fashioned well, well that's part of it is we are because you know I, part of the reason i love star trek is because I, I fell in love with it as a teenager and you know that's that's part of the reason why i still love it because now when i'm when i'm watching it at home and you know, my wife walks by and she sees the cardboard sets and so forth and she just snorts. And I, I, I kind of get it because she didn't grow up with it. So we yeah. all we all have our I mean, they had iPhones before anybody else did, you know, on Star Trek. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, and, 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 yeah. I mean, it was, it was really a prophecy more than a show. It was just really just the way things were going to be. It was uh, for his time going on the air in 1966, a remarkably. Uh, sophisticated television oh, production. And also, can we talk about diversity? Yeah. 
Uh, Sulu, Chekhov, uh, Ulu, Uhura, Uhura, Spock, you know, Vulcans always left out of things. You know, first show I've heard of to feature a Vulcan prominently uh, in the cast. <laughs> that is uh, absolutely true. You know, like Vulcans before that, good luck like yeah. getting anything beyond like a role as an extra. They weren't in Mayberry. You know, a speaking role for a Vulcan was so revolutionary that most people don't even understand that. Yep, you never saw one on Gunsmoke, damn it. <laughs> yeah, first, you, you didn't. You didn't. The Vul- So for the Vulcans, it was a huge... You know, they went no big breakthrough. Big breakthrough. <laughs> big breakthrough for Vulcans. And Long that. overdue. Well, on every uh, episode of the show, uh, for some reason, I don't know why I started this, but we talk about McDonald's and um, at some point, and we haven't talked about it yet. We talked about Waffle House and Cracker Barrel, but you being sort of a, a road warrior in a sense, you know, with the cross country trips, I mean, have you had to, you know, what's your thoughts on McDonald's? I like McDonald's French fries. Yeah. And you like them more when they used to do them in the beef fat, or you still just like them regular, same amount? They're okay. I, I, I'm not sure that they're as consistent as they used to be. I think it used to be that I would go into McDonald's and have French fries, and I thought that they were really good every time. Now I find they're a little more inconsistent. That's too bad. Because they're like the gold standard to me. Like as far as like when I when I'm like, oh, these French fries are good, they're like McDonald's fries. You know? Yeah. But I don't uh, I don't go there a lot if I'm if I'm on the road. Uh, they always have excellent restrooms. <laughs> and that comes <laughs> yeah. in handy. Clean. Yeah. Appreciate <laughs> yeah. those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 one of those things. I was just like, I mean, I knew the minute we started discussing your sort of dining strategy on the road that McDonald's probably wasn't going to be a big part of that. It's still just like that uh, nostalgic guilty pleasure. And they they also don't sponsor the show. They should. They don't, <laughs> even though we talk about them. Like once every other week, I get myself a filet of fish, and I live in Maine. We I have plenty of fish sandwiches. I tell you, I haven't had one of those in 35, 40 years, and I probably have had yeah. two or three in my life. There's a local food writer named Malcolm Bettle. Uh, he actually has a restaurant called Ancho Honey up in the Midcoast now. Uh, he used to have a blog called From Away. And they weren't a big part of my childhood. It's just a funny thing, the filet of fish. And he did this whole, like, because he used to do these kinds of things on his blog back when, you know, we all used to blog, uh, where he, like, rated all the fast food fish sandwiches. And the McDonald's filet of fish came in so overwhelmingly, like, superior to everybody else that I got curious again. I had one. And I was like, this is absolutely delicious. And, you know, it's the only sandwich they have that's a steam bun that's not toasted. Part of the reason that I don't eat at McDonald's or the other uh, fast food chain restaurants much, I eat at them seldom, is because they weren't around when I was a kid, when I was a teenager. There, when I was about 15, there was a McDonald's that came Where to my town. Well, I grew up outside of Hartford, Connecticut. In a, okay. in a suburb of Hartford. I didn't realize that you were from Hartford, Connecticut. Okay. Yeah, outside of Hartford. And uh, and a McDonald's came to town when I was about 14 or 15. Yeah. I mean, so I didn't before like... before 14 or 15, you would never have McDonald's. No. And there was... It, when I was growing up, there was never a... Uh, there was never a Burger King. There was... Wow. Uh, there was a KFC about three towns over, and <clears> that was a big deal when KFC came yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it just... All of the stuff that you think of... Uh, yeah, I mean... 
There was a Dairy Queen in the town where my grandmother lived. That was about 45 minutes away. So when we'd go to visit my grandmother, always treat. wanted to yeah. go to Dairy Queen. And that was great. I loved that. Yep. But I just, I, I didn't, the chains weren't around. It's just because I'm a bit of a dinosaur. <laughs> no, but it's not, it's surprising. Because I feel like chains were everywhere still back then, especially near Hartford. But uh, but it also makes me want to talk about one of my favorite things in the world, which is uh, uh, white clam and garlic pizza. Hartford style is it is it Hartford or New Haven? It's New Haven. Okay. I mean, I feel like they're not far apart from each other, right? I mean, the, the, nobody bother opening a good pizza place in Hartford. They're not far apart, but yeah. um when I was growing up there was I lived in a town that had at that time about 18,000 people in it. So let's see, in Maine that now would make it maybe what the 7 or 8th well, largest. I think when I was growing up I had 10,000 people. Yeah, it would it would be the 7 or 8th largest uh, community in Maine. It would be the size of, say, I think, Waterville. Yep. Um, and we had two pizza places. That was it, too, in a town of 18,000. And we didn't have a single Asian restaurant. We didn't have a single ethnic restaurant of any kind, except for these two Italian places. There wasn't there wasn't a, a Chinese restaurant. And back then, back then, that nobody had a Thai restaurant, but a lot of places right. had Chinese restaurants. There wasn't a Chinese restaurant. So it was... It was very kind of like bland. It was, you know, sort of a, a, a holdover of that 1950s sort of yeah. Betty Crocker cuisine that TV we now that we now all, all laugh at. But that's sort of the way it was. So I didn't, we didn't have, we didn't go into Hartford and have pizza. We, we had pizza in our town. But when we went into Hartford, we would go, well, we didn't go into Hartford to eat that much. But if we did, we would go to, uh, there was a seafood place that my dad liked a lot that we, we went to. And, and that's kind of, I don't remember going in there for, for that many other places. Yeah. So, but one of the, one of the great regrets in my life, and I don't know how I haven't done this yet, is I've never been to New Haven to eat the white clam pizza there. Cause this is what, from the first time I started reading road food, yeah. they, they spoke in rapturous terms. Of, it's the a pizza, right? The, there, yeah. There are two of them. There's a, there's one, I think it's called Lu, Lu Pepe's, Pepe's and Lu one Pepe's. Is, was it Frank's? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah. Well, I thought it was, was it? Wait, is it? I think it's Frank Pepe's, right? I can't remember Somebody's now. But anyway, they're and they're, they're <laughs> not far off. They're yeah, not yeah, far yeah. off ninety five. Zoo parties or something like yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember, but I've never, I have never had those, and I've never. Well, had you can go to Lazari in Portland, yeah, uh, and they do a very good white clam and garlic pizza that I would probably put up against those. So, you know who has a seafood pizza that I like a lot? The shrimp pizza at the Cabin in Bath. Yes, it's funny. The Cabin in Bath. Um, the last time I we went there had been a while. Uh, I tend to like their white pizza more than their red pizza there. And it was funny because I literally had some of like the like the appetizers were some of the worst food I've ever had in my life. Uh, I hadn't been for a long time. But the pizza was still delightful. So you haven't asked me to come cook in the kitchen that I know you have at, uh, at the station for a long time. And I feel like it's because of this one time that I came in and did that. Um, this is back when Jackie Ward was still there and Lee... And Sharon, and uh, we just started food coma, so right. we'd have to be there at like. Uh, you probably had to be there at what four thirty or five five thirty, I think it was. Yeah, so I'd literally always like still be inebriated just because that's you know who I was. <laughs> I remember this Valentine's episode where <laughs> I can I, already uh, see <laughs> this ain't gonna turn out well. <laughs> and uh, I was gonna. They were like, prepare a Valentine. Like, like, if you could do a dish that you know, for somebody to make for the Valentine. So I, I, I make like 
you know, mapo tofu, which is like a really, you know, pretty country Chinese dish. Uh, and Joel was with me uh, on the show. And I like I had everything prepped really well. And I brought my walk in and it was like, which, you know, walks the more season they get, they just get dark. And we were talking about that. And Jackie was like, oh, so it's not just a dirty pan. And I was like, <laughs> like, no, it's not just a dirty pan. It's a season walk. Um, but I, so I was fine in all regards, except for my complete lack of regard for time. Uh, so I was just like rambling. And I remember like I had finished the dish upstairs and I come back down to the studio with Lee and again, they'd ask me something. And I remember just being like, that's an interesting question. Like the Chinese pantry is actually a thing. <laughs> and I remember, and they were just like, back to the Han dynasty. Yeah. And they go, well, that's about all the time we're having. I remember all you hear me just go, use good pork. <laughs> and I was like, cut off. <laughs> you can you can still watch it actually online. Uh, that's really just we always talk about uh, Alex Steed and I, who was the producer of the show back then. We just talk about the use good pork incident. Um, <laughs> I just didn't know what else to say. Well, as you came to learn, television <laughs> is the soul of brevity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. And uh, so, yeah, you, you you can't give us an entire history <laughs> lesson and an entire history of how Chinese cuisine was adopted in the United States uh, and tell us about the history of pork uh, and so forth. You yeah. got to get to it. Yeah, I did not get to it. Eat time. good pork. Yeah, that's this was my message. You know, you know what? It's a good message. So I'm glad if anybody <laughs> took that away from it. You ended on a high note. <laughs> if anybody got something from whatever that segment was, I hope they at least now use good pork because well, there's a big difference. I can tell you, it's not as if we have your photo up on a wall in the newsroom with, you know, a magic marker scrawled on the bottom saying, never invite <laughs> him back again. Oh, it's not I the thought, case. I thought that you were going to say that you did have a picture of me up in the newsroom. That's fine, though. You don't have to have a picture of me up. <laughs> I we don't. keep inviting you back, but we <laughs> yeah, just we all like to talk with you. That's yeah. great. <laughs> That's it. We just don't want you it's to so waste much, our time It's so anymore. much easier to just talk <laughs> than it is to bring your dirty pan out, Joe. <laughs> I made mapo tofu for everybody in the studio, and it was delicious. <laughs> and it was for Valentine's Day. Wait, I think wait. That, who what? makes tofu for a Valentine's I dish? I do. It's with pork. It's not just tofu. Yeah, but still. So, right, so that, Valentine's is a oh, night to splurge so a what little you're bit. Telling me and, and, and I eat tofu and I like tofu. So what you're telling me is that I have to come in and make mapo tofu again so you can try it. No, that ain't happening. Why? <laughs> it's not happening. It's delicious. No, you're not coming in it's to make mapo tofu with your dirty pan. It's um, warming. <laughs> eat good pork. Eat good pork. That's all. All right. Next time, I promise to come in with uh, with uh, ribeye and caviar, and we'll do that segment, and it will be equally delightful. I just want to thank Rob Caldwell for being our guest tonight on the Fukuma Podcast. Did you have a good time? I did. It's always I, I love just sitting down and shooting the breeze with you. So this has been a blast. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely, it's been great having you here. I uh, also want to thank our sponsor, Lunazul Tequila, uh, available in the Blanco Reposado and Añejo variety. Um, again, like I said, it would have been nice to share some with Rob today, but I drank the whole bottle myself when I got it because it was delicious. Uh, until next time, Joe Riccio, the Food Podcast. Podcast.